said I'm excited about Daniel. Can we actually read Daniel? <laughs> Today we'll get to Daniel. Verse 3. Uh, the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young men without any physical defect. Um, good looking, suitable. Sorry, I just heard Derek Zoolander in my head. <laughs> really, really good looking. Suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, capable of serving in King Nebuchadnezzar's palace. And he was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. And the king assigned to them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he uh, that the king drank. They were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to attend to the king among them from the Judahites were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. In verse 8, But Daniel determined he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. This is God's word. Um, I had a funny thought. I just thought I should share with you. We, we had uh, student ministry Wednesday night. And I've been out of that game for a while. So, uh, anyway, I knew I'm back in youth ministry. And I was thinking, you know, young men are kind of the theme of, of this passage. And Thursday morning I came in and none of the toilets were flushed in the men's restroom. And I was like, it's youth ministry season. Okay. Anyway. So, uh, last week we looked at uh, the, the background of Daniel and, and the exile and, and saw that the reason for Jerusalem's destruction uh, and the exile of the people was the faithless character of the kings. Okay, God was faithful to the terms of the covenant and Israel was chastised, as has been the cycle, basically since um, day one and will be that way until the cycle ends. Okay, until five and six happen and they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so because of their unfaithfulness to the terms of the covenant, verse 2, um, the Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, along with some of the vessels from the house of, of Yahweh. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, literally the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, who's uh, Marduk. Can you guys say Marduk? We're going to say it a lot today, so I just let's practice now. Um, and he put the vessels from God's temple in the treasury of of his God. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar is a is a bad dude who leads the baddest empire on the planet. And at first read, you're reading about Nebuchadnezzar. He might seem pretty awesome. Okay, and he might seem uh, pretty in control of what's happening in the story. He's just dominated Egypt. Okay, right before this, he's uh, become fed up with Judah, who he's kind of. Their puppet. Um, and so he burns their city to the ground. He enslaves their people. And then he takes them to the land of Babylon. Okay, takes them to the plain of Shinar. And so at this point in Israel's story, right, if you start in Genesis and you're just reading right along, um, Babylon, the land of Shinar, has come to embody rebellion against God. So Genesis 10.10, 10, um, Babylon first shows up with, with uh, Nimrod. Okay, and Nimrod... Like last week, it's another baby name we would advise against. No Nimrods, okay? Anyway, no, no Nimrods. So his kingdom starts with Babylon, um, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, in the land of Shinar. Okay, so if you know the story of the scripture, the construction of Babylon is about rebellion, right? 
God says, cover the earth. They go, no, we're going to stop here and build a tower to the heavens and, and the whole bit. And then Nimrod's name in, in Hebrew kind of transliterates to, to rebel. His name means rebellion. And so what's happening at Shinar with Nimrod? Rebellion. Okay, it's, 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 it's bad stuff. So Nimrod, Babylon, the land of Shinar, these are all buzzwords in the Bible's story. So whenever you read these things, whenever the author's writing them and you're reading them and you see any of these things, you go, bad juju here. I don't like this. This is a bad thing um, in the story. The later prophet after Daniel, Zechariah, describes Babylon, Shinar in the same way. So Zechariah 5, um, he sees this vision, this apocalyptic vision with angels and the whole bit. So I asked, what is this thing? And the angel responded, it's a measuring basket that approaches. And in the basket, he says, this is their iniquity. In all the land, verse 7, there's a woman sitting inside the basket. Apocalyptic visions are, are, are weird. Okay, maybe some drug use going on in other texts here. Verse eight in the basket, they say this is wickedness. This is a basket full of wickedness. So I asked the angel who was speaking with me, where are they taking that basket? In verse 11, they say to take it uh, and, and build a shrine for it. Where? In the land of, of Shinar, right? So the angels show up and these women and all this, this vision. They say, hey, we've got a big basket of wickedness. Where should it go? Right? Babylon, Shinar, Nimrod's, Nimrod's um, home. And so, right, like this is where it's going. And then the, the Babylon narrative climaxes in, in John's visions um, in Revelation. So Revelation 17, 5, we, we get the description of Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes and detestable things of all the earth. Bad. Okay, not a good thing. And then chapter 18, verse 2, you know, the, the good stuff. Babylon the Great has fallen. She's become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, for every unclean and despicable beast. So when we're talking about taking Yahweh's stuff to the land of Babylon and taking Yahweh's people to the plains of Shinar, we're going, this is bad. Like, this is not a good thing. This is not how history um, should go, all right? So we've got the king of Babylon taking... Uh, uh, destroying Yahweh's city, and then to show that his God, King Nebuchadnezzar's God, Marduk, who we're going to come back to in a minute, uh, to show that he's greater than the God of Israel and to, he, and to show that he's more powerful and he's sovereign over the King of Israel, he takes vessels from Yahweh's temple, which are meant for the worship of Yahweh, and he places them in Marduk's temple. Okay? This, you know, I'm sure there's college football analogies here that I'm just missing. Um, but you don't do this kind of thing, okay? This is divine trash talk. Daniel 1 verse 2, Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his um, God. And just quickly before I start going, we read Psalm 97 this morning, which David's just very clear that there are other gods involved in this game. Is is is. Just show of hands, is that familiar to you that there's other gods involved, right? We've got Yahweh, the one true God, Israel's God, high, up, high above the heavens, over all the other gods. And then, but then we've got all these other little gods, these little annoying characters in the story that keep showing up and causing problems. Okay, if that's new to you, well, there's a lot of it today, okay? So the point at this point, at what, what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to show here by taking Yahweh's stuff is to show that Marduk and King Nebuchadnezzar are great. And Yahweh and his people are puny. 
Okay, clearly that's what's happening. Marduk and King Nebi are sovereign overall. Yahweh is, is not. And so on top of that, we've taken uh, uh, Yahweh's stuff. We've taken his city. Now they're going to take the names of Yahweh's people too. So verse 6, Daniel 1, 6. Among them from the Judahites were Daniel, whose na- name means Yahweh is my judge. Okay, or, or Yahweh will judge for me. Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, which means who is like Yahweh. And Azariah, which means Yahweh is my help. Right? These are their names. They're, they're Hebrew names. Like they're proper Christian names. <laughs> their Hebrew name. Verse 7, the chief eunuch, though, he gave them names. He gave the name uh, Belteshazzar to Daniel, which that means, that's a petition to Marduk. Like Marduk protect um, to, to Daniel. Shadrach. That name is Aku, another god in the pantheon. Aku, protect his life to Hananiah. Mishaak, which who is like Aku? His name was who is like Yahweh. Now it's like who is like um, Aku. And if you, I got a Aladdin's little monkey, Abu. Yeah, who's like Abu? Uh, to Mishael and then uh, Abednego, which is servant of Nebo, the, the son of uh, Marduk. To, to Azariah. So we've got all these different names here, and I have to do this. I've never preached from Daniel before, but who was here during the Derek years? What did Derek call Abednego? A big Negro, right? That was his thing every time. And a big Negro. Was... So, if Derek, if you're watching, tip of the hat, my man. We miss and love you. Okay, so why the name change, right? Sorry. Sorry. Why, why the name change? One, it's convenient. It's fairly normal practice. They changed Joseph's name because we're not going to speak your language, whatever. But second, they changed their name because it shows the dominance of Nebuchadnezzar's gods over the God of Israel. Like, hey, no, you, we're going to call you by uh, Marduk and Abu and Aku and Nebo and, and whoever else. So we took your city. We're better than you. We took your temple. We took your stuff. And now we took your people. And now we're going to take your names. Okay, so you're reading the story and it's just like, man, Marduk, King Nebuchadnezzar are high and lofty and lifted up above Yahweh and his people. They're sovereign over all, not the God of Israel. And then one more thing to show us that what's happening here at the beginning of Daniel is this kind of clash of the gods. Um, Do you know how you you don't know? Maybe you do uh, how the Babylonians depicted Marduk, right? I think we, I have a picture of it here, actually. This is from a historical archaeological uh, dig, okay? The image of Marduk is a, a the technical or official term that they call this thing is a striding snake dragon. So the enemy of God's people is a serpent. Okay? Has this come up in the scripture before? That the serpent's the bat guy and the seed of the serpent is attacking and doing violence to the seed of the woman? Yeah, over and over and over and over and over and over and over until the end. This is the story. The war from Genesis 3.15, right? Just go over it really quickly. Mankind rebels. God makes a promise to save the world. And he says to do it, the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent. But they're going to be at war until the end of time. Right. This is the bit. So it's still going on here. The seed of the serpent here, Marty, whatever. And I had weird. I was looking up pictures of this stuff and I felt weird, like looking at all these um, false gods this week. OK, so this is the, the picture that the enemy is painting is Marduk is over Yahweh. But that's not the picture that Daniel paints. 
Okay, as we get into the story, again, it seems like Marduk and Nebi, they're sovereign over all. But go back to verse 2 and read what verse 2 says. Who's actually running the show here? Daniel 1 verse 2 says, who handed over King Jehoiakim to the bad guys? The Lord did. The God of, of Israel did this. So Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're high. You think you're mighty. You think you're lofty. You are a puppet in the Lord's hand. Okay? He's playing 4D chess with you. You're, you're very tiny, very small. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophesied about this before the exile. Ezekiel 30, 25. The Lord says, I will strengthen the hand, the arms of Babylon's king. But Pharaoh's arms will fall. They will know that I am the Lord when I place my sword in the hand of Babylon's king and he wields it against the land of Egypt. This is prophesied way before the exile. What happens? This Babylon takes over Egypt and then they take over um, Judah. And so I just point this out at the start before we get to the, the fun food stuff. I'm sure Mary and Judy, you've done this story on a felt board a million times, right? Or at least the lions in the, the den. Yeah, you've, you've done all of these things. At the start, as we begin, Daniel, it just has to be clear, and, it, and it's a theme over and over and over and over, as though it looks like the kingdoms of men, okay, and, and the kingdoms of false gods are sovereign and doing as they please, and, and the people of God are just like, what, what's going on? How is this working out? Like, what, what the heck, God? Okay? And the point of Daniel is that they're not, Okay? They're not running things. They're not in control. The Lord handed over um, Judah to them, okay? God is sovereign not only uh, over the kingdoms of men, but God is also sovereign over the serpent. And he will take care of the serpent. Isaiah 27 says, On that day, the day of the Lord, the Lord with his relentless, large, strong sword will bring judgment on the Leviathan, that twisting serpent. And the Lord God will slay that monster that is within the sea. And so for that, we say, Maranatha, come, Lord, slay the dragon, crush his head, do your thing. Okay? So this backdrop of Marduk and Yahweh in this clash, and I'm actually over you, this sets up Daniel's first test, right? We've got a couple tests. We've got this thing with the food. Um, Stoney's going to cover the lions or the fire? The fire, Reese will cover the lions, right? We've got these three big tests. Well, the first one's the easiest, right? Choosing faithfulness to God with food or choosing faithfulness to God with a fiery furnace or choosing faithfulness to God with lions. Which one's the easiest? The food. Depending on your level of love for food, I guess. Okay, this, this one's the easiest. So this is the first test. And it's the backdrop for it. Is am I going to be loyal to Marduk or to Yahweh? So verse 3, the king ordered Ashpenaz to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from nobility. Young men who are suitable for instruction. And this is important. In wisdom and knowledge. Uh, perceptive, capable of serving in the king's palace. And they're going to learn the language and the literature. And they're going to eat the same food and drink the same wine that the king drank. So, why does King Nebuchadnezzar want these guys? Like, why is he choosing them? Like, he kills and slaughters uh, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews. Why does he keep these ones? Because they're going to be beneficial to Babylon. Like Nebuchadnezzar doesn't become the great ruler that he is by being a dummy. Okay? He knows like there are, there are wise, perceptive, knowledgeable people in Israel. And I need them to come and work for me so my empire can continue 
growing. And so to ensure that these guys are the best of the best, they're going to, one, they're going to learn not that uh, Hebrew language and literature anymore. They're going to learn the language of the Chaldeans, right? Because we're smart and we're awesome, okay? And two, they're going to eat the royal food and the wine that the king eats. And whatever, that's fine. But there's an important detail um, about the food and the wine that, that Nebuchadnezzar was consuming, okay? So before the food makes its way to Nebuchadnezzar's plate, it's first offered to who? Marduk. Marduk. There you go. Yeah, they first offer it up to their false god. And then it's considered blessed because it has contact with the divine. And then that blessing is passed on to the one who's eating it. And who's eating it? Nebuchadnezzar, right? It goes to Marduk, comes to Nebuchadnezzar. Now I am awesome. So Nebuchadnezzar believes, look... I'm wise, I'm powerful, my kingdom is great, you know, just rolling through this area of the world. And the reason is because I eat the food that Marduk blesses, okay? And since I want my chief advisors to be wise and perceptive and knowledgeable and capable of serving in my palace, they're going to eat it too. Does that make sense? Okay, like I, I want them to be as awesome as I am, and I'm only awesome because Marduk is awesome, right? Marduk will give them wisdom and insight, and my kingdom will flourish, okay? Just, okay, all right, and so further, just to go back to the Bible story, I, I uh, text Allie and Stoney this this week. You know, you read your Bible sometimes, and it's just like, okay, I've read this before. And then sometimes you read it, and something's like, comes out, and you're like, oh, that is so cool. What we have in the story right here is we have a serpent who wants God's people to eat some food so they will have some knowledge. Has that happened before in the Bible? Like right at the start, right at the very beginning, eat the fruit of this tree, right? You'll have wisdom and knowledge anyway. I thought it was cool. It's the same story. Daniel 1 verse 8. So what does Daniel do, right? Eat the food. What does Daniel do? Verse uh, eight, Daniel determined he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. He says, look, I know I need to have wisdom and insight, and knowledge and all, all of these things. I know that and I, I need these things to represent Yahweh well, right? He's in a foreign court and he wants to represent his God well. And he needs these things probably to save his life, right? If I don't have these things, you know, like like the rest, I know I need all of these things. And I know because I'm a good Jewish teenager who who loves Deuteronomy that Deuteronomy four, he says, I know if I carefully follow all of God's laws, which includes not worshiping other gods, this will give me wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the people. And when they see it, they will say this is a great nation and, and indeed a wise and understanding people. Daniel's like, I need all of these things. I, I have to have all of these things. And so Daniel in refusing is saying, I know God will actually give me wisdom. Okay, God will give me strength. I don't have to look for it for someone else. And there's no way in shale I'm going to let my wisdom that comes from Yahweh be attributed to Marduk. Right, because if he eats the food and he is wise and perceptive in all these things, what are the people going to say? Well, yeah, because you ate Marduk's food. Marduk makes wise. Marduk makes great. And Daniel says, no, my success in Babylon will not be attributed to anyone but Yahweh. So... Sorry, Ashpenaz, chief eunuch, I can't eat the food. I'm refusing to defile myself. Okay? By eating the king's food, any superior intelligence that Daniel will have, skill, or health in Daniel, it's going to be attributed to the gods of Babylon and not to the god of Daniel. And Daniel just, I can't have that. Okay? This cannot happen. To, to, to do so 
it would be defiling to even look like he's relying on other gods. Because is Daniel actually going to be relying on other gods if he does this? No. You know what I mean? Like he, the, the, all the food in Babylon's unclean, so it's not a it's not a Levitical clean. It's all unclean. Okay. And Daniel could go in and say, I know that all of my wisdom comes from God, even if I eat this food like. But to even look like it, Daniel says, this is defiling to me. I can't do it. I can't have anyone think that the good that I have in me comes from anyone but God. So I'm not going to do it. And so this is very significant. And and I want you to see how Israel's, and this, this is a stony, thanks man, for this one. Israel's former judges, Israel's former kings, they couldn't bring themselves to trust in the Lord even when they're in the land, right? Like they're in the land, they've got armies, they've got walls, they've got all the stuff, and they're still turning to the other gods because they don't trust in Yahweh. And now in this story, we have a 15-year-old who's not in his homeland, who's not in Jerusalem, who doesn't have walls, who doesn't have armies, who doesn't have anything going for him otherwise, and he's still choosing faithfulness to God. Like, it's a huge contrast between Israel's former kings and this teenager in Babylon. Like, it's a, it's a big, big deal, right? Like, it's, uh, Coach Weiberg would say, that's, that's big time, man. Like, that's a big deal. And, and even to, you know, go back to Genesis again, Daniel's doing what Adam didn't do, right? Adam had the same choice, like defile yourself and get knowledge from the serpent or don't. Adam did it. Daniel's like, I can get knowledge from the serpent or not. And he's, he's not. It's a big deal. And he's a teenager, okay? So you, you uh, junior high kids in here, how old are you? Tegan, how old is Tegan? 14? You're 14? Man, I feel old, Okay. I'm just like faithfulness to God isn't something for the old and wise and mature and whatever. Like it's for now. You guys choose to follow Jesus now and be faithful in Babylon now. How do you think people who are still following Jesus in their old age got there? They started early. They started as early as as they could. And then think of the pressure here. Okay, Um, first uh, the, the 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 quality of food here, right? Daniel is willfully choosing salad over steak. <laughs> okay. Second, I think I have all these up here, Sheldon. Second uh, pressure for Daniel is a retribution from the king, right? Like, hey, I'm not going to eat your food. Cool, you're dead, right? Like, just, I have no need of you if you're going to insult me in this way. Third, Daniel's got pressure from peers, okay? So I know we read the story, and it's like, yeah, we have these four Jewish boys in the court. Babylon didn't just bring four guys over, right? There's a whole bunch of of, of Jewish boys here, and Daniel's stand is going to get all of them in trouble, right? This is how society works, right? You've got the room. Everyone wants to do one thing, but there's one guy in the room who's like, no, I got to do the right thing, and everyone's going to suffer for it. Junior high, this is high school, <laughs> this is college, and then I became an adult. It's the same way, okay? It actually doesn't change, okay? To stand for truth and stand for righteousness and aim your heart to be faithful to God is not going to be popular with everyone else. Now, maybe the other Jewish boys are with Daniel, but maybe not. Daniel's got to deal with that. My, my, my stand is going to cause difficulty for them, but I have to do it anyway to be faithful to Yahweh. Daniel refused to defile himself. Uh, fourth pressure here: Who's going to know? 
right? Judah's 900 miles away. Mom and dad aren't in Babylon, right? They're, prob- they're probably dead, right? They're, they're, they're not involved here. Judah, long ways away. Who's going to know if I eat the food from the king's table? Who's going to know if I drink the wine offered to Margaret? No one's going to know. And then fifth, and I think this is important for every human being, but definitely for every believer. Why, why would Daniel be faithful to God at this point? Okay. His city has been ravaged. The city of the great king. The city promised to Israel now and forever. It's been ravaged. Daniel's neighbors have been murdered in the street. Slaughtered outside the city gates. You've marched 900 miles into captivity. Do you think maybe some bitterness has creeped in for Daniel? Right? Hey, we love your babies. Okay? We, we need more crying babies, not less. So... You're doing great. But you guys been there? You're like, I'm setting my heart, soul, mind, and strength to love the Lord with everything I have, and my life has totally gone to pieces. Have you, this bitterness creep in? And you start to think, why should I be faithful to God? What's He ever done for me? Okay? This is very important. If you haven't experienced this, you will. Okay? I've sat in enough living rooms. You're going to deal with this. And I sit in two kinds of living rooms. Okay, I sit in one living room where someone has set their heart, soul, mind, and strength to be faithful to the Lord. And their whole life falls apart. Okay, Whether you know death or financial or whatever. Their whole life has fallen apart. And they still choose faithfulness to God. And the reason they do it is because they were prepared for it. And someone told them when you start to follow Jesus. Life is going to be hard and difficult. And they said through many tribulations we will enter into the kingdom of God. And they said if I drink this bloody cup of baptism unto death. So will all who follow me. And they heard that and they embraced it. And when the tragedy came they did not get bitter at God. But they stayed faithful to the Lord. I've sat in that living room and I hate that living room, but I love that living room because I know I'm talking to a Christian. No, I'm talking to someone who heard the difficulty of the call to follow Jesus. And they said, yeah, this is what it is. And they didn't get bitter and they didn't turn from the Lord. They pressed into the Lord. OK, I'm glad you're in this room. OK. Think, I think uh, uh, Michelle's camping this week, guys. Michelle's Michelle's life life. Has not been kind to her. She is faithful to the Lord. Okay? Every opportunity for bitterness to creep in and turn from the Lord, and and they don't. Okay? Joe, Randall family, like Mike Gay, you guys could have thrown in the towel. He said, What has God done for me lately? Let bitterness creep in and turn from the Lord and not choose faithfulness to the Lord, but you do. I love that living room. And that living room. In the age to come. <laughs> you have to be prepared for it. But then there's another living room. That I sit in. And in that living room. They set their heart, soul, mind and strength. To love the Lord. But for whatever reason. Either someone explicitly told them. That your life will always be great. Your life will always be wonderful. Tragedy will never come near your dwelling. Sickness will never come near your dwelling. Fill in the blank. Finances will never be hard. Death death will never, ever come to you. I've sat in that living room. And because they believed that when fill-in-the-blank happened, uh, why should I be faithful to God? He's done nothing for me. 
We have that conversation. This is where Daniel's at, right? God, what has God done for me lately? Yet Daniel refused to defile himself. Okay? This is where you have to set your heart. That whether I'm in Jerusalem and things are going well, and a Josiah or a Hezekiah or Solomon's on the throne and things are going well, I'm going to be faithful to Yahweh. Or when I've got Amon or Jehoiakim or I'm in Babylon, I'm going to be faithful to Yahweh because I know the end of the story. And I know it's a narrow road and it's a straight path and it's hard and it's difficult, but it leads to life. So decide today which living room I'm going to sit in someday. Okay? Which, this is the deal. Okay? Daniel has every reason to not choose faithfulness to God Yet he is, verse 8, Daniel determined that he would not uh, defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. So he asked permission from the chief unit not to defile himself. And what happened? Verse 9, God granted Daniel, God gave, okay, just like the Lord handed uh, the king over. Now God is giving Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. So we have the Lord's sovereign hand again, verse 10. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who has signed your feud and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men uh, of your age? You would endanger my life with the king, right? So he's saying, look, I need you guys to perform well for my sake, right? I, I, I get the news um, as well. So verse 11, Daniel said to the guard, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. Okay? So, hey, I understand I understand your situation, but at the end of 10 days, look at the difference between those who rely on the false god and those who rely on the one true living God of Israel. So, verse 14, he agreed with them and tested them for 10 days. And what happened? If you've been in church world, you know. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days... They looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food, who were eating the food of the false god. Why? Not because they had better, more nutritious food. Okay? God used less nutritious food to nourish these boys. So Marduk's not getting any glory here. Only Yahweh is, right? How do you else do you, do you explain it, right? It's like Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Elijah purposefully, you, do you guys know this story? Show of hands, I'll tell it if you do. If, okay, we have false gods over here. We have Elijah and the true God here. They build two uh, altars, things. And Elijah says, you guys cover your altar and buckets and buckets and buckets of water until the moat around it is filled. And then you call out to your God and if he, you know... Burns up the offering, your God is the true God. And, and oh, sorry, I told that totally backwards. <laughs> the bad guy's God is totally dry, right? They're dumping gasoline and everything on it. Elijah's altar is soaked. It's got terrible kindling. And what happens? The worst kindled one, right, burns up. And it's the same in this story. The guys with less nutrition grow stronger. And what's the point of both those stories? That only God gets the glory for these things, all right? The prophets of Baal, your God's a false god. The, the prophets of the king of Marduk and all, your God's a false god. That, that's, anyway, that's the point of the food. And then what happens? Verse 17, God gave these four young men. And what did they need at the start of the story? What, what, are, what do they have to have in the king's court they get? Knowledge, understanding, every kind of literature, in every kind of literature, 
and wisdom. And Daniel also understood dreams of every kind, which is great currency in, in Babylon. At the end of the time that the king said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend to the king. Verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and, and mediums in his entire kingdom. So this event, the point of this story, is to make it clear to Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel's exalted status is not due to the result of Marduk's blessed food. But Daniel's exalted status is due to Yahweh's power. And so yet again, the seed of the woman has triumphed over the seed of the serpent. Okay? So I know we were all over the place um, in this story. Like, here, here's the problem with... Teaching every week as you sit down to, to study and write, and then it's there and you have to roll with it. So I got Saturday night, and I was like, all right, this is it. We just got to go with it. Okay. So we're all over the place, but it's really a simple story. Okay. Daniel and his friends chose faithfulness to God, and God blessed them for it. Okay. Easy, simple. But that. If that's all that you take away from the story, you might end up in the wrong living room. Okay? If you read Daniel 1 and you read Daniel uh, 3 and you read Daniel 6 and it's like, man, every time they're faithful to God, things go well for them in this age. You might end up in the wrong living room. Okay? But I do. what you do need to leave with is that if you will choose faithfulness to God... Okay, and with all the excuses, you choose faithfulness to God, you will receive blessings sometimes in this age, but certainly in the age to come. Absolutely, certainly, you will not regret choosing faithfulness to God. You won't look back at your life and say, no, I wish I'd been less faithful. And I wish I'd compromised here, and I wish I'd compromised there, and I wish I'd given a little less to the Lord. That will not happen. It will not be this way. If you will fast in Babylon, you will feast in Zion. This is the point. Okay. So, Robert, if you would come and, and help us, please. Um, I want to read one more scripture and then I, and then I want to um, pray. I think it's relevant. First Peter 2, um, 20 and 23. Peter writes that, but when you do good, what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And Daniel preceded Jesus. He did not commit sin. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges um, justly. And so if you are... Uh, just want to speak to two groups today. If you're here today and you're a you're a disciple of Jesus, you're following Jesus, you're a member of our church. Okay, this is what we're doing, and you're you're at the Babylon point. Okay, nothing has gone well. Exiled, wrong king's court, persecuted, fill in the blank, all the stuff. Daniel one is your encouragement today. Okay, Daniel 1 says, stay on the path that leads to life, and you will inherit eternal life. Okay? That's to you. 
to other people in the room who, who might not be believers, right? You're whatever. I grew up, heard the stories and all, all, all this stuff. And same bit, life has totally kicked you in the tail. In the example of, of Daniel and, and the prophets and in the example of Jesus, the call is still the same to turn to the Lord in repentance, to, ter- to put your trust in his cross for the forgiveness of your sins, to put your trust in his resurrection as the guarantee of your resurrection. And then you can handle all the stuff. You can handle the exile. You can handle the destruction of the city. You can handle you know, being marched 900 miles, whatever, because you know that it leads to life. And you know that God doesn't lie. For when you do good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. So let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for the example uh, of Daniel. Um, And thank you for this example perfected um, in Jesus. As he was faithful even unto death. And Philippians 2, for that reason... God has exalted him uh, to the highest place. Given him the name that is above every name, that every knee should bow um, on the earth, under the earth, over the earth. So I ask you, God, for our body here, that uh, you would gird us up, give us uh, strength and faithfulness. God, if there's opportunities... Um, to turn from you, opportunities to, to put our allegiance somewhere else, uh, that you would send the Spirit, God, that you would send uh, another trusted friend um, to strengthen us and say, no, it's worth it to follow Jesus in the difficulty. It's worth it to, to give our lives um, wholeheartedly, no matter what it costs. And second, God, just out of Daniel 1, I ask that you would give our body wisdom and understanding. God, that as we, uh, wisdom in the scriptures, God, and understanding what you're saying, um, God, understanding our part in the story, uh, and wisdom and understanding for, for navigating this age, God, being wise as serpent and innocent as doves, um, as parents and uh, uh Children, as employees, as bosses, as church members, God, we we want to walk wise. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, Amen. Um, if you have questions about following Jesus, what it means to put your trust um, in Jesus, you can talk to a member of our church. They can tell you, uh, or you can fill out our form on the website or the card in the back, and we'd love to talk to you uh, more about those things. But now our elders will be at the front. Um, If anyone needs prayer about anything in response to the message, whatever, but we're going to pray now. If you're not praying with an elder, pray with someone else.